Thank you for that, Dan. Uh, let me actually invite you guys to have your Bibles open to Matthew 6. There is an outline as well in your order of services, or if you go to gracepoint.org.au slash go slash Burwood Bulletin, uh, you'll also find an outline there. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we do thank you that we can open up the Bible uh, this Lord's Day. Uh, we do pray and we ask as we come to the end of our series on the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, we do pray and ask that you might begin to help us understand the world we live in, uh, our need not just for provision, but our need for constant protection as well. Uh, gracious God, uh, meet us now where we are by your Spirit. Uh, help us understand these words of yours in the Bible so that more and more we might begin with wisdom and depends, dependence on you. We might navigate life always looking to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's generally true in life that life is filled with dangers. Uh, every summer, uh, we're repeatedly told the ads will come out pretty soon, slip, slop, slap. Slip on a, sh uh, a shirt, slop on sunscreen, and slap on a hat to stop skin, skin cancer. And in, in Australia, if you know anything, uh, you know, if, you, if you've been brought up here, you'll know that in primary school, uh, you are taught to swim. Everyone needs to learn how to swim. Uh, and then you are actually taught to read the surf. And when you go to the beach, you're always told to swim between the flags. Um, growing up, I'm sure you've been told to always look before you cross the road. Look to the left, look to the right, listen, and then cross when it's safe. Uh, same thing uh, in the city. There are always dangers around. Uh, when you're in the city, you're always watchful as you look around. It's not just the couriers and the bikes. Uh, it's buses that fly past you as you stop, uh, as you stand, like waiting on the edge of the street. Uh, my sister was hit by a bus, not, you know, just standing on the edge because she was too close on the edge and the bus just clipped her. Uh, growing up as a kid, you're told not to talk to strangers, be watchful of strangers on the way to school, on the way back from school, because there are dangers all around. And some of you have traveled different parts of the world, and when you visit certain parts of the world, you're always told to be watchful, mind your bags. Mind your wallets, their pickpockets at work, their dangers all around. And these days, uh, when you go online, there are online dangers as well. You know, you read of the guy who sees an unbelievable iPhone deal. No, it's not, Jaden. Uh, and he gets, uh, he orders uh, an Apple iPhone. And what does he get? He gets apples sent to him. There are dangers with online shopping as well. You go to the Northern Territory, you're told to be watchful. You know, don't hang your legs off the boat because they're crocodiles. And so, it's generally true that in all of life, there are dangers everywhere. We all believe in physical dangers. You've been brought up in a world, in a culture, in an environment where uh, you are warned of dangers all around you. Now, dangers are not just present in the natural world. Uh, as Christian people, we also believe, as Christian people, we believe that there is such a thing as a supernatural world. The world is not just a natural place. Maybe you're not a Christian, you're a visitor here. Maybe you're a secular person and you think, oh, you know, we just live in a natural world. Uh, but, you know, Christian people believe that the world is not just natural, but supernatural. And we say that because there is the presence of evil in our world. Uh, and the presence of evil in our world suggests that something is wrong. It's not just within us, but it's external to us. What's the source? Who is behind it? Who is or what is the agent of evil? Uh, and so Christian people believe both in a natural world and a supernatural world to account really for evil in our world. And so it's no surprise uh, this evening as we look at this portion of the Bible, 
uh, Jesus reminds us that the same holds true in the Christian life. The Christian life is actually filled with dangers. Dangers that you must be aware of, watchful for. It's filled with dangers that we need to be aware of. And so one of the things I want to say to you, certainly if you're a follower of Jesus, to assume that the journey you are on as a follower of Jesus, to assume that, you know, once you become a Christian, it's like a, you know, a, a lifelong honeymoon uh, or a walk in the park, you know, uh, it's simply not true. It's foolish because you are meant to live defensively. If you've ever done a driving defensive course, you know that that's the principle of driving defensively, is to always be watchful. And so notice in the teaching, uh, teaching us to pray, if you have your Bibles, notice what Jesus actually says in verse 13. Jesus, um, you know, as we come to the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, notice Jesus says, pray to God, our Father, for protection. Pray to the Father for deliverance from temptation uh, and from the evil one. Verse 13 reads, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, notice where we are in the Lord's Prayer or the prayer Jesus teaches us to pray. Notice verse 11 and 12. You notice verse 11 and 12? Jesus says, pray for provision, our daily bread, and our need for our sins to be forgiven because we are broken, fallen people and we break God's heart, we disobey Him, and we hurt each other each day. So He says, pray for provision and remember that God is your provider. But then when you get to verse 13, notice He says, pray for protection because God is not just provider, He's also your protector. You see there? So, so when we look at the Lord's Prayer, right, we, we began in the opening. The opening of the Lord's Prayer is a reminder to us that God is a Father who loves us, who is actually committed to us. And we know that He's committed to us because He gave up His Son for us. But we're also reminded that He's not just a Father who loves us, but He's also a powerful Father. Uh, he's greater than our circumstances, which is why it says, pray our Father in heaven. He sits enthroned. He's in control over the circumstances of our lives, which is what gives us confidence when we pray. A father who loves you and a father who is powerfully in control. And that is the reason why we pray for his rule to come. Because when he rules, life is right. There is peace. There is security. And that's why we come to him. We pray for two things. We pray for our daily provision, our spiritual provision, and we pray for our protection. And that's how this portion of the Bible is actually working. Notice verse 13, Jesus says, pray as well for protection. Pray that your Father would protect you. He might put a, a wall around you to keep you from the dangers of two things, temptation and the evil one. Okay, can you see there? So two things Jesus teaches us to pray, provision and protection. Now that you've provided for me, keep me safe the next step on my journey. Keep me safe as I take the next step in walking with you. Now, we need to pray both daily, uh, which is why we read for God's provision and for God's protection to pray it daily. Now, if you have your Bibles, notice the first half of the prayer for, for protection reads, lead us not, verse 13, into temptation. Now, why does Jesus say pray, lead us not into temptation? Simply because temptation often leads us to sin. Uh, the temptation to covet uh, to lust, to idolatry, to not trust the Father, to be greedy perhaps, uh, to be angry, to be impatient, uh, to not forgive, to jealousy, uh, to discontentment, to laziness, to apathy, uh, even the temptation to workaholism, uh, to not forgive. Uh, I, I liken temptation to loose stones, you know, loose stones that are in your shoes sometimes that if you don't deal with can hinder and stifle and often derail you in your walk. That's what a temptation is like. 
Now, temptation can actually derail us in two ways. I put this down in your outline so you can follow along. Uh, here's the first way temptation can derail, derail us. It can steal our joy. Uh, it can take away our passion and love for God. Uh, it can actually take away our sense of security and contentment in the Father. And by doing that, it leads us into idolatry. That's the reason why Dan wrote, uh, read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to verse 14 Uh, What happens in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, the Apostle Paul, he uses the wilderness experience or the desert experience of the people of God to help the Corinthian church understand their situation in life. Uh, he, He wants the Corinthian church to understand the nature of temptation in their lives and the dangers of temptation. Uh, the, the account in 1 Corinthians 10 actually comes from Numbers 11 to 14. Uh, and in Numbers 11 to 14, uh, that account really is all about the pressures and the temptation and the blessings that the people of God face, having come out of the uh, great Exodus event, which in many ways mirrors temptation today. And so you know the story of Israel. Um, if you know the story of Israel and what God has done, what happens is, why are God's people in the wilderness? Well, they're in the wilderness because what's actually happened is they've experienced God's ultimate provision. So if you think of ultimate provision in the Old Testament, where do you see God's ultimate provision for His people in the Old Testament? You see it in the Exodus. Because that's where the people of God in the Old Testament experience God's ultimate provision. His salvation. Uh, his deliverance from the enemies. Uh, they were captives in Egypt, and now He has freed them, He has redeemed them, and now they're in the wilderness. They are on the journey to the promised land. And so Israel is in the wilderness. They've experienced God's ultimate provision. Uh, they've experienced His ultimate protection in the Exodus. And what did they do in the wilderness? They complained about God. They complained about what He provided for them. Not enough water, not enough meat, not enough bread, They complain about their leaders. They complain about what God asked of them. Now, it's really interesting, you know, when you read the New Testament in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Some of you are familiar with this. When you go to the New Testament in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, what is the sin? What is at the heart of sin? Paul actually says, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, they neither glorified God, neither did they give thanks to Him. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, We often think of sin as the breaking of God's law, but the sin is not just the breaking of God's law. It's a refusal to acknowledge God as God, but notice it's also the refusal to acknowledge that He is the provider of all things. Uh, And so the spirit of unthankfulness actually marks sin. A lack of thanksgiving is the start of that downward spiral into idolatry, right? Let me say that again. Uh, A lack of thanksgiving is the start of the downward spiral into idolatry, which is what you see in the wilderness. Now, the flip side is also true, right? If if a lack of thanksgiving or unthankfulness is the downward spiral into idolatry, it means that thankfulness is actually the mark of the growing Christian. And that's the reason why the flip side is true in the New Testament. When you go to Colossians 2, verse 6 to verse 7, uh, in Colossians 2, verse 6 to 7, Paul says this is the trajectory of the Christian life, of maturity in the Christian life. He says, just as you began with Jesus, continue in Him, walking in Him, growing up in Him, and overflowing with thankfulness. Thankfulness is a mark of maturity, of the growing Christian. Which is why, you know, people who are always complaining, never thankful, are on a very dangerous path. 
on a road, I suspect, to idolatry. And that's what's happening here to the Old Testament people of God because they're complaining in the wilderness even after they have experienced ultimate salvation, ultimate provision, his sufficiency and provision in the Exodus. And they're complaining. And so what happens here in 1 Corinthians 10 is Paul says, look at Israel. Look at the Old Testament people of God because, he says, we are just like that. That's the point. We are just like that. We're always complaining. We're always griping. We're always accusing. We're always blaming. We're never thankful. and We're never looking to God for provision, for relief. We're always looking to find our provision and relief somewhere else. So in 1 Corinthians 10, um, if you have the Bibles, you could do this with me. If you look at verse 11 to verse 14, uh, Paul actually tells us uh, God's purpose, the reason why the account is there for us. Uh, the Old Testament people of God and the way they relate it to God in the wilderness, Paul says, is a warning to us. Let me read that for us. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Uh, that's Paul's way of saying they experienced a great provision in the Exodus, a great salvation. Now, this side of the cross, we've experienced a great provision, a great salvation on whom the ages have come. A far greater salvation is ours in the Lord Jesus, okay? But, and so he says, these things happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us, having experienced the fulfillment of the ages. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Notice what Paul then calls the pressure, the heat, and the difficulty the Israelites faced. He calls it temptation. Temptation to idolatry. Uh, and idolatry is choosing, basically, something else in place of God. That's what it is. Something else in place of God for your help, your security, your contentment, your happiness, your comfort, your salvation. And so verse 13 reads, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Uh, which means the temptation to run after something or someone else in place of God is ever-present in our lives. And Israel's example is there as a, as a, as a warning to us to not be overconfident, uh, to not think that we cannot be tempted to sin, uh, to treat temptation lightly, uh, to not think that we are not prone to idolatry, uh, that we won't exchange God for something else in our lives. Uh, and so it's foolish to think that we can never be tempted. Uh, the Israelites experienced heat and pressure in the wilderness, and they were tempted to turn to something else other than God, their provider. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, you will face the same temptations. Uh, and the temptation will always be for you and I to look to find our relief and our comfort, our security, our happiness, uh, our contentment in a substitute to run somewhere else. And so let me ask you to maybe think of life each day. Uh, there are pressures, aren't there, every day? There are pressures at work. Uh, there are pressures, you know, in the studies, the postgrad studies some of you are doing. Uh, there are pressures in marriage and relationships. There's pressures as parents. Uh, there's pressures as families. Uh, and then on top of that, there's so many other pressures in life that we feel, the pressure of singleness, the pressure of expectations people place on us, the pressure of time, the pressure of broken relationships, the pressure of comparing ourselves with others, the pressure that comes with sickness, the pressure that comes with difficult circumstances. 
And all those pressures, as they come upon us, also come with temptation. Uh, the temptation in those pressures to find our relief or our comfort or our security, our contentment, our salvation in anything and everything other than God. And so temptation in all our pressures, in all our struggles, sometimes they tempt us not to run to the Father, but to run to something else in our lives, to put us on a path where we look to something else. And so life is actually filled with dangers. And that's why at the end, Paul calls them idolaters. And the danger of temptation to idolatry is ever-present in our lives. And that temptation is felt whenever you experience heat and pressure in life. And so every time we experience heat and pressure, the temptation is either run to the Father or run to find our solutions elsewhere. Now, it's worth noting that in the epistles, certainly in the, in the New Testament, temptation is actually only mentioned twice. Uh, surprising, isn't it? Uh, it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, and it's also mentioned in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. And in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, it's only mentioned twice, uh, it speaks of the temptation to be rich. Of course, there are many other temptations in life, but obviously, that's one that many of us are prone to. And so 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 speaks of the temptation to be rich. And, and, And when you read 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 and 10, you begin to realize that Paul says money and riches, uh, financial security, uh, they're not the problem. It's the temptation riches and wealth brings that is the temptation. That's what we must be mindful of and watchful of. Because what's the idol in the temptation to be rich? It's the temptation to replace my security and joy and satisfaction and contentment, in, not in God as my wealth, but in something else as my wealth, in something else as my security. That was the same problem in 1 Corinthians 10. There's nothing wrong with wanting comfort and security and food and full stomachs, which is what the Israelites wanted. It became a problem when it led them to looking for it in something else. That's why Paul calls it idolatry. And so it's so important for us to understand this, right? Behind the temptation, behind the temptations we experience, the temptation to lust, uh, to covet, to jealousy, to not forgive, to be resentful, to be dissatisfied, behind the temptation to be impatient, uh, behind greed, there is always some idol in our lives that temptation wants to lead us towards, something we think is going to give us what we need. And so it's worth asking, right, what is it for you in the temptations you personally face? Was it, what is it for you in the temptations you personally face? What are the temptations you face in life each day, uh, at work, in your studies, Uh, in your marriage, uh, in your workplace? What's the idol at the end of that temptation? Uh, Where is the road leading to? What is it you want going down the road? You know, when you're tempted to be angry, to lust, to be dissatisfied, to be greedy, to be jealous, to not forgive, what is it you want? Uh, And if you can answer that question, you begin to identify your heart idol, Because that's where temptation is seeking to lead you and to lead me. It is seeking to displace our love and trust in the Father so that we love and trust something else, so that we find our functional salvation in something else. And that's why Jesus says, pray for protection each day from temptation. That's the first daily danger in our lives. Now, as an aside, let me say, so that we don't misunderstand, so you don't misunderstand me, uh, and you, I think I wrote it down, be clear on the relationship between temptation and sin. 
be clear on the relationship between temptation and sin. So the first one is temptation is not sin, and it's very important for us to understand that. Temptation is not sin, but temptation can always potentially lead to sin. Uh, facing temptation is not sin, but succumbing to temptation is sin. Uh, deliverance is not from the sin of temptation, right? So it's not like we want God to deliver us from the sin of temptation. Temptation is always there, right? It's like the rock that finds itself in your shoe or the pebble that finds itself in your shoe. It's always there. Uh, it's like the pickpocket or the dangerous stranger or the dodgy online seller. They're always there. So deliverance is not from the sin of temptation, but the potential sin temptation can lead to. And so it's important for us to understand that, okay? But there's a second way temptation can derail us. The guilt of falling into sin, the guilt of falling into idolatry, uh, the guilt of falling into ungodliness caused by temptation can sometimes crush us. Uh, The guilt of falling into sin caused by temptation can sometimes discourage us. And so, sometimes you find yourself going down that path, I've sinned, I've fallen into idolatry, I haven't just disappointed God, I've grieved and I've hurt others. Now, there is good news when that happens, because notice what verse 12 says. It's God's daily provision for us in the gospel. And so this is coming back to be washed again and again by the Father's undeserved mercy. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. It's always good to remember that, isn't it? Which is why the prayer Jesus teaches us to pray is a prayer of not just looking to God as our provider, not just for daily bread, but for our sins, but also God as our protector. Our sins, there are many. His mercy is more. And so that's why we're called to pray as well. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Yes, there might be temptation. Yes, there might be failure. But there is also a door called forgiveness. Now, it doesn't minimize the need for us to be watchful, to seek God's protection from temptation. And so, learn to pray daily for protection. Guard me from temptation. Lead me not into temptation that will cause me to sin. That's praying for protection. But notice the second half of verse 13. The second half of the prayer prayer reads, but deliver us from the evil one. Can you see there? We need protection from temptation that can potentially lead us to sin, but we also need protection from the evil one. We don't talk much about the evil one, do we? So who is this evil one that Jesus speaks of? I assume if Jesus said it, it must be true. So who is the evil one in the Bible? What does he seek to do in our lives? Now, including Jesus' prayer here, the evil one is actually mentioned five times in the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, In the four Gospels, the evil one is only mentioned five times, including what you read here. And the evil one in the Gospels is always a reference to Satan or the devil. It's a reminder to us that the world you and I live in is not a neutral place. The supernatural world is not a neutral place. Behind evil stands not just an evil force, but an evil being. Uh, And so just as you and I are to be watchful for the presence of dangerous people around us, dangerous people around us who would harm and exploit us and take advantage of us and our families, the same is true in the Christian life because Jesus says there is an evil one whose presence and power is real. And so just as there are physical dangers in life that would seek to harm you, there are also spiritual dangers in life that would seek to harm you. And this is what we're told about the evil one. Uh, I put 
All the five Bible verses there are in your outline. The first one comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, right? And in Matthew 5, verse 37, Jesus says to his disciples, uh, he says to them in terms of how they should speak, he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Let your yes be yes, your no be no in your relationships. Anything beyond this, he says, comes from the evil one. That tells us that the evil one is a liar whose words cannot be trusted. He speaks deception into our lives. Ever occurred to you, I don't know whether it's ever occurred to you, that some of the things you hear, some of the things that are taught to you, some of the things you believe, some of the things you read, right, are lies. In fact, some of the things we believe about ourselves, some of the things we say of ourselves or think of ourselves, they are lies spoken by the evil one. He lies about your identity. He lies about your value. He lies about your worth. He lies about your circumstances. He lies about God's nature because he wants you to doubt God. He lies about where you're going to find your contentment and happiness in life. It's interesting because that's Paul's warning to the Colossian Christians as well. Uh, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 8, uh, the apostle Paul says there are two ways to live. Okay? You either live by the truth of the gospel or you live by the lies of the evil one. It's the same thing, right? Paul says, Colossians 2, verse 6 to verse 8, he says, make sure you're not taken captive by worldly wisdom, behind whom lies spiritual forces. And so, you know, we're familiar with verse 6 and verse 7, right? Because verse 6 and verse 7 actually says, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. In other words, live by the truth of the gospel, that's how Christian people live. That's how Christian people grow. But then in verse 8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, that is wisdom, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Yeah, two ways to live. You live by the truth of the gospel or you live by the lies of the devil. Okay? And it comes to us in the world. Notice how Paul sees the Christian life. It comes down to who you are listening to who you are hearing, the words of truth in the gospel or the lies of the world behind whom lies spiritual forces. And so that's the first thing we know about the evil one. He's a liar. And he, speaks to, he seeks to speak lies into our lives, into our minds and hearts. The second one comes from Matthew 13, verse 19. And there again, Jesus is speaking and he says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom, when anyone hears the gospel and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So what does the evil one seek to do? He always seeks to displace the word of God in our lives. Uh, he always seeks to, he seeks to do everything he can to make us forget the promises of God. He will do everything he can to make us disregard what we read and what we learn in the Word of God. He will do everything he can to cause to neglect what we hear taught in the Word of God, in the Bible. But then there's a third passage, Matthew 13, verse 38. And there again, Jesus is speaking and he says, The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom of God. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them, the weeds, is the devil. And that actually tells us that he has followers in the world. Jesus calls them weeds, sown by the devil into our lives and into our world to promote his lies, to displace his word in our lives. And, you know, it seems like a harsh thing to say, but there are dangerous people in our lives 
whom the Bible speaks of as belonging to the evil one. They are there to speak lies in our lives. They are there to distract us from the Word of God. They are there to displace the Word of God in our lives. Now, the last one comes in John 17, 15, and there Jesus actually says, he prays for his disciples, and he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And that actually tells us that the evil one actually seeks to harm us, to do actual harm in our lives, okay? Now, it is important to understand not just what the evil one seeks to do in our lives, but how he does that as well how he works to derail our love for the Lord, our passion for the gospel, our joy and security and confidence in the Father. How does the evil one work to undermine and displace God's word in our lives? How does he deceive us? Now, one of the ways is actually true temptation. One of the ways the evil one works is actually true temptation. Let me draw two examples from the Bible. The first one is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, the, the church in Thessalonica was a church that Paul loved dearly. Uh, he cared for them. Uh, he grew them. And, and then you read uh, in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 5, Paul is no longer with them, uh, and he's very, very concerned for them. And so he writes, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. He wants to find out how they're going, because he's not with them. Uh, and then he writes, I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. See there? He's concerned that the tempter has tempted them. And so Paul recognizes that sometimes the evil one works through temptation to derail our faith, uh, to undermine God's word in our lives, to make us doubt God's promises in our lives. And, and in the book of Thessalonians, what, how is the tempter doing this? He's doing this through suffering, through physical persecution, through hardship, Right? The pressure and the heat of these things have come to tempt the Thessalonian Christians to not trust God, to look elsewhere to find relief, to look elsewhere to find comfort, to cause them to doubt God's love. And Paul's actually concerned. So that's, that's one of the ways the evil one works. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, we read again. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is the section of what Paul says about marriage. Uh, and there he says to married couples, he says, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then he says, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so Paul actually recognizes that the tempter seeks to corrupt our sexuality in marriage through the temptation of sexual desires. So he says he wants married couples to guard themselves by meeting each other's sexual needs. So what's the relationship between temptation and the evil one? Right? What's the relationship between temptation and the evil one? Well, here is a prayer for protection, for preservation, for God to guard against us against the evil one because temptation is not just within. So sometimes temptation comes from within us, but sometimes temptation is also external to us. And the evil one works through his deception true temptation, by actively seeking to tempt us to idolatry. The world is a dangerous place. And I have to say that far too many of us uh, have a relaxed view of the Christian life. Uh, we teach, you know, I said this morning, um, you know, if you're a parent, I know Chong is back there, and Ronnie and Danny and family are all back there. Uh, 
we, we teach our children to be watchful, and I'm pretty sure growing up, you're going to teach your kids to be watchful when it comes to physical dangers in their lives. But, you know, very rarely do we teach them to be watchful about spiritual dangers in their lives. You know, here's a word to the parents down the back and parents-to-be in the next few years. Take note. There are far more dangerous things than physical dangers in the lives of your children. And even if you're not a parent, I want to say to you, there are far more dangerous things than physical dangers in your life. And so we need to understand the context of the Christian life, right? This is the context of the Christian life. The Christian life is not a cruise ship where the weather is always sunny, where you lounge around on deck chairs, right? The, the Christian life is likened more to a battleship. Uh, moments where you do enjoy the sun, where the water can be really calm, but you're on a battleship, which means that you need to be alert because you're always at war. Uh, there are dangers and pitfalls. You know, we sing Amazing Grace, right? And do you know the second verse in Amazing Grace? We remember the first, but we don't pay much attention to the second one. The second one always reminds us there are dangers, toils, and snares in life. Dangers, toils, and snares in life. That's what life is going to be like. Uh, that we must be aware of, watchful for, dangers within our hearts and dangers external to us. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray for daily protection from temptation that the evil one brings. And so it is an illusion to think that the Christian life is safe. Life is not safe. The world is not safe. And so it's foolish to think that there are no dangers. In fact, we go on to read warnings in the epistles regarding the evil one as well. And so I put down two for you, and maybe this week you might want to have a look at that. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 is one. Uh, you know, in 1 Peter chapter 5 um, verse 8, uh, Peter actually says to the scattered churches, the diaspora churches, he says to them, be self-control and alert. Why be self-control and alert in the Christian life? Because he says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He says, that's the nature of the Christian life. You've got to live a life where you are self-controlled and alert. Because the evil one is looking for an opportunity to devour, to have you. So be self-controlled and alert. Now, it's rather strange, isn't it? You read the words self-control and alert. The second one I can understand, be alert, be watchful. But why the first one be self-controlled? What's the opposite of being self-controlled? To not be in control. When are you not in control? You're not in control when you have drunk too much. Okay? That's what happens. When you're drunk, you are not self-controlled. And normally when you're drunk, it's because you are intoxicated. Something else has taken over, right? And so when you are intoxicated by your pursuits and your possessions, that tends to distract you. And so here we read, right, be watchful because the evil one is looking for someone to devour you. And he says, be self-controlled. Don't be drunk by your pursuits and your possessions and everything else in life. Because if you do that, you will not be self-controlled. You will not see where temptation leads because you are too caught up in other things. Uh, in Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18, uh, you know Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18, Paul likens the spiritual life to a, to a war, to a struggle. Uh, a war, he says, against the devil's schemes, against the devil's plans, against the powers of darkness and the spiritual forces of evil. That's what we read in Ephesians 6. And then there is a warning, right, to us as Christians, but then there are also resources, he says, available for us in the struggle, in the war. There is equipment for the war. And, and the equipment, he says, is the gospel. Paul says, clothe yourself with the gospel. That's the armor of God. Clothe yourself with the gospel. 
Let it cover your heart. Let the truth of the gospel cover your heart. Let the truth of the gospel be the helmet that you wear to guard your mind. Let the truth of the gospel, its truth, speak to you to, to defend you against the fiery darts, he says, of the evil one. And verse 18 says, cover it all in prayer on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. See that? So there are resources, but life for the Christian is not life on a cruise ship. It's a war. Life on a battleship. See what Jesus is saying here, teaching us to pray. Pray that the Father might keep us from temptation that the evil one brings into our lives. Pray that the Father might deliver us from temptation to idolatry that the evil one places before us in our workplaces, our homes, our marriages, our friendships. Pray that the Father might protect you from temptation to godlessness that the evil one brings when we are put into circumstances that are difficult, when we are tempted to look for relief in things other than the Father. Pray that the Father might, might keep us hearing His Word and not be distracted. Pray that the Father would flourish the Word we hear each week, uh, not just in the sermons, but in our Bible study groups. Pray that the Father might keep the lies of the evil one away from us. Pray that the Father might keep us alert so that we might be able to discern the truth when we hear what's spoken to us. Each day, a battle is being fought for your heart. The gospel deals with our sin. Yes, praise God for that. But each day, there are new temptations that the evil one brings into our lives. Potential sinkholes designed to steal your love and your affection for the Father. Those parents down the back, if you're a parent, can I say to you, I know the kids are small now, don't just teach them to, don't just stranger-proof them. They don't, just, they don't just need to be taught to be watchful of strangers in their lives, people who will exploit them. Spiritually, um, as a parent down the back, your kids need to be taught to be watchful for temptation to idolatry, watchful for lies that are shaping their hearts and their minds, watchful that they aren't neglecting God's Word, even as children. Uh, you know, if you're a parent, part of what that means is to be a spiritual coach to your children, not just fostering a knowledge of the Bible, but dependence on the gospel, teaching them in prayer, a posture of not just dependence on God for provision, but dependence on God for protection. Not just true for the children and the parents, true for us as well. Uh, Isaac Watts wrote that hymn that we sing here at Grace Point, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. All of us know it, popular hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. He also wrote another hymn that we don't sing. I think we don't sing it because it sounds so aggressive. It's not very PC in our world uh, today to speak of the Christian life as battle and war, right? He wrote a song, he wrote another hymn called, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? That would be one worth singing, isn't it? Am I a Soldier of the Cross? And it's such an apt description of the Christian life. The life of a soldier, he says, is the Christian life. Facing an enemy. Facing dangers. Am I a soldier of the cross? The third stanza of the hymn reads, Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? The answer is, there are foes to face every day. We need deliverance from the evil one. The flood of temptation is always upon us in life. We need protection from the temptation to idolatry in our lives. We need protection from lies in our lives. We need protection from neglecting the word in our lives. The world, church, the world is not a friend to grace. 
the world is not a friend to grace, and neither is it there helping you to love and anchor and treasure the Father each day. And so each day we need help. We need eyes to see the traps, the dangers, the snares. We need to pray that the Father would put a hedge around our hearts. A hedge around our hearts. That our hearts will not sway, that we will have the will to say no to temptation. We need God to help us. We do need His strength, His power, His protection. And more than anything else, we always need His deliverance. We need to learn to pray each day, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we do thank you that you have not left us to our own devices. We thank you for the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. We thank you that you are a father who is lovingly committed to us. We look at your son on the cross and we know we are deeply loved. We also thank you that you are a father who is powerfully for us. We think of the resurrection and your throne and we know that the circumstances in our lives are not outside your control at all. You are in control. And so this Lord's Day we pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Because when your rule comes in our lives, everything is right. Everything is set right. We know peace, we know security, we know joy, we know happiness. We come to you and we entrust our daily needs. We cannot flourish without daily bread, without you blessing We also cannot flourish without you dealing with our sin. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. We acknowledge we are broken, sinful, weak, and frail. We need your forgiveness. Grant us the assurance that our sins, though they are many, your mercy is more. But tonight, Father, we also pray for your protection, because we are vulnerable in more ways than we are willing to admit. Each day we face temptation that seeks to derail us, and so we look to you and we ask for your help, for your protection, for your deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the schemes and the plans and the devices of the evil one. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.